is Claiming Your Voice with Janice Garrard. In this podcast, I feature guests with passionate stories of hope, inspiring others to claim their voice in a world where we can be bold together. Today, my guest is Stephanie Stern, and Stephanie is here to tell us about her adoption story. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. Glad to be here. Tell us your story. I'm currently 56 years old. I was adopted at six weeks of age. The story I was told throughout my life is my adopted parents were married for almost two years and they couldn't get pregnant. When I say parents, just so you know, I'm referring to the people who adopted me. And if I talk about my biological family, I'll stipulate my biological family. My mother had a cousin, her first cousin, who adopted two girls. And my parents discussed about the possibility of adopting. My mom was on the fence my father really wanted a child uh he was older at that time i think he was 42 or 43 so he really wanted a child uh my mother agreed with the stipulation that the baby be a girl and that the baby be jewish my mother insisted on the child being Jewish because, you know, my parents were Jewish and they would obviously raise the child as a Jew. And he didn't want to take the baby to convert. She didn't want to convert the child. So she insisted on it being she insisted for being Jewish. So those were the stipulations. Eventually, my cousin or my mom's cousin, which became my cousin, obviously, told my mom that there was a Jewish woman giving her child up for adoption and that it was a boy. And my mom said, no, if I'm going to adopt, it's going to be a Jewish girl. And my father was upset because he wanted a child. And to him, it didn't matter as long as the child was Jewish. And my cousin called my mom back. And told my mom that he made a mistake and that the baby that was being given up was a girl. My parents, you know, a lot of this is conjecture and filling in and basic, you know, putting the pieces of the puzzle together. My parents hired an attorney to petition the court to get the right to adopt me. 
and I was told that there were two couples that were petitioning to adopt me. My birth mother, whose name was Kathy, she passed away in 2001. Uh, my birth mother uh, stayed in Michigan, where I was born, to make sure that I was set up. And she insisted on having the final say on who I went to. And she picked my parents because my father was more established at that time because he was older already. That's how my parents became my parents. About a year last Thanksgiving, I found out who my birth parents are. And I, over the summer, I spoke to my biological uncle and my younger brother. That's when I found out that my birth brother, Kathy, had passed away. And it was weird because the day I found out, I cried. And I remember calling my best friend who was doing this journey with me. And she was the first person I called when I found out. And she's like, why are you crying? And I remember just crying the entire day and calling my rabbi to find out how, if, and how I would sit Shiva for her, which is what uh, we do as Jews. And um, he told me what I needed to do. And I did a little bit more because I just felt like it was necessary. Um, I put off looking for my biological parents until I was older. When I was 30, I decided that I would find out all my non-identifying information. And I went to the court that handled my adoption. And the caseworker that helped me was the same caseworker that handled my adoption 30 years prior. And that was kind of neat. And she told me, I asked what my name was. She says, you were known as Baby Girl Burns. That was my birth mother's last name. And 
my parents were always open about my adoption. They never hid it from me. They never made me feel embarrassed about it. They always said I was chosen, whereas my brother, who was not adopted, was not chosen. Um, what happened there is after my parents found out that they were approved to adopt me for the first six weeks of my life, I was in foster care. So my parents decided to take a trip, I believe, to New York. And while they were in New York, my mother got sick. And she didn't think she was pregnant because before she left for New York, she took a test and it turned out negative. She thought she just had the flu or something. When they came back from their trip and brought me home from foster care, she was still sick. The nurse who was helping my mother out said, you know, I think you're pregnant. Take another test. And she took another test, and it was positive. And nine months later, my brother was born. So my brother and I are eight months and 31 days apart. So we are basically raised as Irish twins. A cute story. Uh, when my parents brought me home, my father went out to buy diapers and formula and bottles and all the things they needed for me because in my faith, we don't buy anything previous. We buy after. That's why we don't have baby showers. If we do, they're after the baby is born. And the drugstore where we lived at the time was no more than 10 minutes from our house. And like an hour later, my father still hadn't come home. And obviously this was 1967, so it was before cell phones, to say the least. And we couldn't, my mom couldn't call him. And when he came home, he said he got so distracted about having a baby at home, he ended up an hour from our house. For those of you who know Michigan, I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit. I grew up in Southfield, Michigan. He ended up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is where the University of Michigan is. And it's about, at that time, 45 minutes to an hour from where I lived. That was a cute story.
So I was never, as a child, I was never treated differently than my brother. My parents were always open about my adoption. I remember being told when I was seven, my mom and I were sitting in our family room and she was telling me where babies come from. And a child who's seven years old, very literal, they don't have the ability to compare mentalize and figure things out. My mom is and always has been thick thin, very thin. And when she told me that babies come from their mother's tummies, I looked at her and I pointing to her stomach, I said, you mean it came from there? Because I didn't understand. Because I was at my size. How could I fit in there? And she says, well, not exactly. And I said, well, what does that mean? And she says, well, you grew in someone else's stomach. And I said, okay, what does that mean? She says, you were a Daddy and I adopted you. And she explained to me what that means. And I guess we went on. I don't remember what happened after that. But later on, my when my father came home, I ran up to him to give him a hug and a kiss. And I said, Daddy, guess what? And he goes, what, honey? I said, I was adopted. I'm special. (laughs) And he goes, that's nice, honey. Go upstairs to your room and play so I could talk to Mommy. And that was my experience of being told I was adopted. I never hid the fact that I was adopted or that I am adopted because my parents made it such a positive experience for me. No one, when I was a child, treated me differently because I was adopted. I remember when I was in my late 20s or my early 30s. I was talking to my mother's mother, my grandmother, and I was the first grandchild on that side. And I was very, very close with her. I was talking to her and she was watching a talk show. And as a guest, the talk show host happened to have been adopted too and he was having guests on the show birth parents adoptive parents and adoptees and she called me up 
and she said, Duffy, I don't understand how these women could give their children up for adoption. My three daughters are the most important thing to me. I could never do that. I just don't understand. And I said to her, but grandma, if my birth mother didn't give me up, you wouldn't be my grandma. And she paused and she thought and she said, as just as matter of fact as can be, that's different. So adoption wasn't an issue growing up. Things started to change when I became a teenager. We moved to a different area and my father started to favor my brother over me. The first time I remember hearing that is, I remember seeing that was uh, the day my brother was being bar mitzvahed. I woke up and I went into the kitchen, at, you know, to get breakfast. And on the table were all kinds of cookies and baked goods that my father displayed for my brother because of his bar mitzvah. And the first thing I thought of was, wow, he didn't do that for me. But then I realized that at that time, Bar mitzvahs were a much bigger deal than bat mitzvahs were, you know, in the 80s. It was a newer thing. So I kind of just passed it off as that. But as the years went on, I saw more and more favoritism towards my brother. It got to the point where I felt I could do nothing right and my brother could do nothing wrong. As my best friend put it, he was the golden child. And it was from both of my parents. It was from my mother and my father, both. I still didn't contribute it to the fact that I was adopted. I contributed to the fact that my brother was a boy and I was a girl and my father was chauvinistic because he was from that generation where men were chauvinistic. That's how he grew up. I never contributed to the fact that I was adopted. My father, the best way I could describe my father is, was, he passed away in 2016, was, he was a chauvinistic, narcissistic bull. And... 
I was his punch back. Every chance he had to bully me, he did. Um, that said, he was good to me financially. I never wanted for anything. Whatever I needed, whatever was out, I, I, I never wanted financially. Emotionally, yes. I Mentally, yes. Spiritually, here, there, and everywhere. It was okay. My parents had issues with me becoming more religious than them, but eventually it worked its way out. I always say for the first 13 years of my life, I was bullied by my peers from the age of 13 till now, I was bullied by my peers. And the funny thing is, most of my friends didn't see it. Some of my really close friends came to me and said, your parents are treating you like crap. And they hinted it was towards the adoption. And I said, no, it's because I'm a girl and my brother is a boy. Actually, what I actually said is because he has a smuck and I don't. So... <laughs> I actually said that to my dad a couple of times. He got kicked out of it. My father, you know what? I was his punching bag, but in defense, and I use that term loosely because there's no reason to bully a child. But in defense, I gave him a run for his money. He was of the mind that children should be seen and not heard. And when I was an adult, women are stupid and don't have brains. And if you do, you don't show them. So I was of the generation where women's lib started to become common and accepted. Um, I really believe if I would have gone to my parents and said I wanted to be a doctor, they would have said no because of my father being fashion. Nowadays, it's like, okay, so you want to be a doctor? Go be a doctor. Okay, do what you got to do. I gave him a run for his money. Um, I, I, I would call him up or I would talk to him and I would go, daddy, I have a question, blah, 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 blah. And he would be like, Steffi, I'm tired. Go ask your mother or Steffi, leave me alone. I just came home from work. So I was kind of tossed aside. As I said, some of, some of my closest friends, three off the top of my head, didn't like my parents. Four didn't like my parents. They didn't like the way they treated me. 
they didn't like the way they talked to me. My parents often accused me of being ungrateful, unthankful. I was waiting for them to die so I could get their money. Um, I never loved them. They would say the most horrific things to me. They would call me lazy. I was every morsel of food that ever went into my mouth was watched. I wasn't starved by any stretch of the imagination. I had to be fed. And if I wasn't then, I was a nothing. I wouldn't get a good job. I wouldn't get a good husband. I wouldn't get good grades. I wouldn't get the right friends. All these things. And like I said, whenever I did something they didn't like, or I tried to figure out who I wanted to be or what I wanted to be. And I would rebel like teenagers do. I was called ungrateful. I was called that I didn't love them, that I didn't respect them, that I took them for granted, that I didn't appreciate that, that I'm using them for money. Only time I would ask them for anything was if I needed money. All these things. Time went on. My father turned my mother and my brother against me. And in the beginning, Beginning when my father would bully me, my mother wouldn't chime in. After a while, she did. And the most recent time she did it was this summer, which I will get to eventually. The ironic thing is, you know, every chance I had, I told them that I loved them. Every chance I had, I told them I appreciate all they did for me and do for me. I considered them from a young age my real parents. I knew one day I would find my biological family. But at that time, I didn't consider my natural family, my first family, family in the sense of what the Stearns and my cousins were. Okay, as far as I was concerned, those people were my parents' siblings, aunts, 
uncles, grandparents, and cousins. I never felt different. Where I never felt different. As time went on, like I said, my father turned my entire family against me because what would happen is he would go and say all these horrible things about me and people believed it. I remember having nightmares on a regular basis about being abandoned. I had nightmares about not being accepted. I had nightmares about not being loved. I remember when they first started happening, I told my parents about it and they made fun of me. I was not allowed to show any emotion whatsoever. None. Whenever I would show emotion, um, I would be made fun of. I remember when I was 32, my mom's mom, my grandma, who I was very close with, as close as you could be, passed away. I was hysterical. And I wrote a eulogy, but I was told I could not read it and that the rabbi should read it. When I walked into the uh, parlor, the funeral home parlor, uh, my breath caught. My grandma, Peggy, my mom's mom, was the first family person that I was old enough to understand what was happening. My dad's mom and my great-grandparents passed away when I was nine or younger. So I wasn't old enough to understand the ramifications of it. So my grandma Peggy was the first person. And when I walked into the parlor, my breath caught. And my parents and my aunt said, Steffi, don't start making a scene. Don't start crying. And I just said underneath my breath, F you. But I, I handled myself. And I remember being in the rabbi study, going over the eulogy and everything like that. And my cousin walked in. She said, Steffi, your mom gave me this to give to you. And I said, what is it? She says, it's a volume to calm you down. And I said, okay, thank you. And I took it and she walked out. And 
I looked at the rabbi and I said, could I take it? And he said to me, what you are feeling is natural and normal. You can be sad and it's okay to cry and show your emotions. And I took the volume and put it in my pocket. I never took it. Side note, two years later, I wore that jacket that I wore to my grandmother's funeral. And I put my hand in my pocket and I felt something and I took it out. It was the value. And I just threw it out. When before my father passed away, the last time I saw my father alive, he came to me and he said, are you planning on attending my funeral? And when I say this to most people, they're shocked that he would see such a drastic comment. And I wasn't because I knew what an asshole he was. And I said, yes. And he says, okay. I don't want you speaking at my funeral. And I said, okay, I'll make you a deal. I won't speak at your funeral if you allow Rabbi so-and-so to officiate and bury and to officiate at it. His response is, who the fuck do you think you are telling me who to officiate? And he's going on and on and on. And I just walked away. My father accused me of trying to kill him and my mother. Uh, the last time I saw them, all they did was beat me up. Verbally, emotionally, mentally. They didn't have one kind word to say to me. And when I tried to get out of their way, that wasn't even good enough. And I went to them and I said, I've had enough. I want to go home. At that time, I was living in New York. I want to go home. And they booked a ticket for me to leave the next day. That night, my parents kicked me out of their house. And I stayed in a hotel. And I actually flew back. At the time, I was an Orthodox Jew. I actually flew back on Shabbos. That's how bad it was. And when I was trying to pack as I was in their kitchen and I was trying to get ready to leave and my father was probably standing 
about 10 to 12 feet away from me in the kitchen. I said, I need you to leave. I am trying to pack and your presence is upsetting. He made a smart ass remark. And there was a knife block in front of me. And I took a knife. And again, he's standing 10 to 12 feet away from me. I took a knife and I put it to my wrist with the blade facing up. So I would hurt. And I said, if you don't leave, I'm going to hurt myself. Get out. And being the asshole, narcissistic asshole that he was, he made it about him. My mother came and got him out of the kitchen. And two months later, he passed away. And I never spoke to him again. When he was dying, they wouldn't let me come see him to say goodbye. Um, when they were planning the funeral arrangements, they wouldn't let me have a say in it. I have a very difficult time now calling my brother my brother because he never acted like a brother. Everything he ever did for me, he did because his parents asked him to. And not out of loyalty to me. Now refer to him as their son. When I flew home to bury my father, my aunt picked me up at the airport and she says, now you're not going to make a scene like you usually do at your father's funeral. And underneath my breath, can I curse? Underneath my breath, I said, you fucking bitch. Fuck off. But what I actually said is, aunt so-and-so, my father just died. I have a right to be sad and to cry. So, bug off. And she shut up. Okay, because at that time, I had enough recovery under my belt to stand my ground. My mom mentioned that trip. That once she purchased the ticket to fly me home, the last time I came to visit, it cost her an arm and a leg. I didn't comment. I didn't say anything. But under my breath, I said, good, you deserved that. Because she was a A year ago, as I started to say, 
I found my biological family. I waited that long because when I was 30, I told my parents that I opened my non-identifying records. At the time, I didn't know what narcissism was. Okay, I didn't really learn it until my late 40s. And my father turned my mother and my brother into narcissists. I went to their house to tell them what I did. And instead of being supportive like they had in the past and asking questions and everything, um, they made it all about them. You're looking to get rid of us. You don't love us. You don't appreciate us. All these horrible things. My father left the room because he was crying. My mother was hysterical. So I said to myself, I won't find my birth family until after one of my parents has passed because I wouldn't want to hurt them like that again. And I didn't want to have to sit. I knew I would have to sit Shiva for my birth mother. My birth father's not Jewish. So as far as I know, I don't have to, but I don't know. And I didn't feel comfortable sitting for my birth mother. If my parents who raised me were alive. Hold on, I'm just going to get a drink. Found my biological family. And like I said, I found my biological family. At the time when I found them, uh, actually, I didn't find them. DNA angels did. At the time when I found them, I wasn't going to seek them out. As far as I was concerned at that point in my life, I knew who my parents were. I knew who my family was, is, excuse me, I felt safe in my identity. As time went on, I started to join various adoption groups. And I started to friend people like you and other people. And I started to read their stories. I started to read their experiences. I learned what the primal wound was. Is. Um, I learned what the fog is. I learned what the triad is. 
I learned all these things about adoption. I never knew. I learned that the reason why I never felt like I fit in is because I was adopted and these people weren't biologically related to me and there's a difference I I know today you can come from the most loving family in the world and still feel the effects of the primal wounds still feel the effects of the fog. My father once said to my mom, I think I was in my 20s, that the reason why I never gelled with them the way their son did is because of being adopted. And he was right. He, I didn't know he was right. And when he said it at the time and I heard it, I just talked it up to him being the asshole he is. Eventually, there came a point in my life where whatever my father said, if it was hurtful, I just ignored it because I considered the sword okay and I didn't pay attention to it when my father turned 88 I went to go visit him for his birthday one day him and I were sitting on his couch and we were talking and he said to me you know something along the lines of how lucky he was to have my mother as his wife and you know his sister-in-laws and brother-in-laws and their son and his family and nothing about me and he said that his son did all these things and everyone did all these things and I said Eddie I sent you a beautiful letter from the heart. And at the time when I sent him the letter, he called me and thanked me for the letter, and it was very nice. But this time, he blew it off. And he looked at me, and as long as I have my mouth, I will never forget what he said to the day 
I die. He came to me and he said, I believe the reason why Hashem, which is God in Hebrew, gave us your brother is because he knew how much trouble you, he knew how much trouble your mom and I would have with And I said to him, Daddy, why would you say such a hurtful thing to your daughter? And his response was, hurtful. What about all the times you hurt me and you're my wife. And I was just like, okay now. <laughs> and I backpedaled out of it as quickly as I could. Uh, that night, I said something to my mom. And her response was, um, oh, he's just getting old. He doesn't know what he's saying. He has things on his mind. She made three to five excuses for him, like she always did for the last 40 years. I'm uh, sorry, uh, 30 years. I, so, I, again, I just chucked it up. So, as I started to join uh, the adoption groups and started to read others' stories, I started to understand what it means to be adopted. And about a month to a month and a half ago, I was talking to one of my doctors and like a light bulb went off in my head. I realized that the first 50 years, 48 years or whatever, of my life. Well, no, that's not true. Since I was a teenager, whatever, I realized my life was a mirage. None of it was true. It was all about feeding the narcissistic ego of my father and then my mother. I was a pawn in their lives. My father loved me as long as I kissed his ass. As soon as I stopped kissing his ass, 
and feeding his ego. Whatever he did for me was for my mother. My mother doesn't love me unconditionally and every single time she will choose her husband and her son over me and she's done that since I was a teenager but she does love okay to a point but not the way a mother should love a daughter and like I said I heard other adoptees sharing their experience strengths and hopes and I finally have come out of the fog I finally realized I finally understand why I went through what I went through the first 54 years of my life. Why Hashem put me, Hashem is God, why Hashem put me with the family he did? Because the question I had for decades is how people who went out of their way to adopt a child abuse the child the way I was abused. I couldn't understand that. Now I do. I realize that the people who adopted me they did the best that they could the only way they knew and know how to show any kind of love is through money money is god to them which makes sense because a narcissist has to look perfect and dress perfect and have the best of everything. So it makes sense. The purpose I realize is my group, you know, because of what I have been through. I can help others that are going through the same trauma and same trauma and abuse that I went through. The last time I spoke to my mom was this summer uh I had asked her son to do me a favor and he didn't it ended up costing me money and 
I sent a text and an email stating, you know, I asked you to do me something. You didn't do it. It cost me money. I understand why you don't like me. I'm tired of trying to have a relationship with you. And I'm doing awesome. And he said, call mom, I'm done. And I called my mother. And she accused me of the same things that she'd been accusing me of for the last 30, 40 years. And I sent her a text about two years ago. One of my aunts came to me and said, before your dad died, why did you go after a knife? Why did you go after him and your mom with a knife? And I laughed. I couldn't believe that she would even say such a thing. And I said, who told you this? She said, your mom and your brother. I said, your sister and your nephew are full of shit. What happened was this. And I told her, and she said, well, growing up, how come you never listened to your parents? I said, really? They said that too? And she said, yes. And I said, Auntie so-and-so, every single time I would do what they want me to do, they would change their mind. I never knew if I was coming or going. There was never any consistency. And she said that they went to them and said I was ungrateful and all these things and so forth and so on. And I said, did they ever tell you about the times that I went to them and said how much I love them? She said, no. I said, did they ever tell you about the times I went to them and told them how grateful I was? And she said, no. I said, did they ever, did mom ever show you the text messages I sent about how I appreciate the birthdays she made for me and the dance and all of that and she said no I said so in other words they only showed you the negative stuff right and she didn't say well, back in August, I sent a text message to my mom saying, why did you and dad go to people and say these things about me?
uh, don't deny it. I have proof. And the most recent time you said these things was this morning. And I want to know why. Don't deny it. I have proof. And seek real hard before you answer because it will determine the outcome of our relationship. And she texted me right back saying, I don't know what you're talking about. We always build you up. We gave you things. We did this. We and listing all these things they did. Okay. I said, thank you. And she said, I never said that. And I shot back a text in all caps, calling her an effing narcissistic liar. And I told her I don't want to have anything to do with her or her family. I don't want to have anything to do with her son or her grandchildren. I said, I'm done. I'm done being abused by all of you. I'm done being lied to. I'm done being taken for granted. I'm done with everything. Well, a couple people made me feel guilty. And I reached out to her and she ignored the text. When I texted her on the Jewish holidays, she never acknowledged it. The last time I texted her, was about a month ago asking her for something of mine and that's the last time I texted her. Her sister called me the weekend of my birthday as you know I was celebrating. A Sunday night I was supposed to go out to dinner with some friends. Her the sister called me and started to ask extremely personal questions, and I wouldn't answer. And she started spewing the same noise, and I stood my ground, I honored my boundaries. And eventually the conversation ended. Well, I thought about what she said and I sent her an email answering her question. And I said, I'm doing this against my better judgment. I don't feel comfortable sharing this. You don't share this information with me, and this will be the last time I ever speak of this, and if I find out, 
you shared this with your sisters, meaning my aunt and my mother, and their families, we are through. I said, if you want to share it with your husband, the same rules apply. I am open to having a relationship with you because you are my aunt, but there will be boundaries and they will be honored. And I haven't heard from her since I have it, you know, when my mother sent me what I needed in the mail, she put a little note saying, I hope this improves your life. And my response was, fuck you. No, you don't. Because she really doesn't. She wants my life to be the way she wants my life to be. And I don't want that. I'm happy. At this point in my life, I am happy. I heard a friend say today that we live an average of 75 to 80 years. I personally think it's more now, but she said, I'm 55 years old. That means I only have 25 more summers, 25 more winters, 25 more springs, and 25 more falls. I'm 56. So that means I have 24. That's not a lot. Taking the low end of the number. I spent the first 55 years of my life in a lie. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life in a lie. I decided to reach out to my biological family. I've had questions answered. I will close with this. When I was talking to my uncle, I said, do you know who my father? He says, yes, I do. And I said, what's his name? And he told me, and I said, you mean he's Jewish? And he said, yes. And I was shocked because I was told my whole life. My birth father was not Jewish, is not Jewish. And after the shock wore off, I realized that who he thought was my father isn't my father. It's not possible. DNA doesn't lie. And he filled in a lot of the blanks. 
So what happened was, and a lot of this at this point, some of it is conjecture. My birth mother was at a party or something and she met a guy and this is what I was told she met this guy at college and they were dating for a short period of time and they broke up and after they broke up she found out she was pregnant. She went to her mother, my grandmother, and my step-grandfather and told her, told them that she was pregnant. And from what my uncle told me, my step-grandfather was an asshole. And he said, you are to abort it. And if you don't, I'm kicking you out of the house. So she was kicked out and she went to go live with my great grandmother, I think in Chicago. Her best friend, husband, was doing his residency in Michigan at the hospital I was born at. So when she was ready to give birth, she went to go live with her best friend. And the three of them contacted at that time, it's no longer in existence, Jewish Family Services. And they arranged for her baby to be adopted. What I think happened was that her best friend's husband was doing his residency in OBGYN. The doctor who was a head, who was head of the OBGYN department delivered he was good friends with my mom's cousin. So through that channel, I became Stephanie Stern, so to speak. So that's what we figured happened. In regards to finding my biological father, as far as I know, he doesn't know I exist. The confidential intermediary in uh, East Lans in Lansing, Michigan, has information. And I have information, too, through DNA angels. I am going to reach out to him. It's time. It's time for me to put this behind. I never told my mother that I'm in contact with my biological family. If she knows, it's through her sister. 
who I said something to and I when I slept. I don't know if she knows and I really don't care. I wanted to share the journey with her. She wasn't interested. My story is common but unique. I am eternally grateful for my life. I am eternally grateful for the people who raised me and adopted me and raised me. You know, they honestly did the best that they could. I am the person I am today because of it. When a person is exposed to severe trauma, they either become a narcissist or an empath. Okay, I chose the path of an empath. I chose the path of kindness. I chose the path of nurturing and caring. And my life is amazing because of it. And I have the woman who gave birth to me to thank. And I have the people, I have my family to thank, my adopted family to thank. Because I have arrived at my age, I have finally arrived. Thank you so much for letting me share my story. I really hope it helps others. What now? <laughs> I guess I would just end this by saying, Stephanie, thank you so much for being a guest. And thank you for letting us hold space for you today.